0: One day it won't be there. Make it count. There's a whole lot of good things God's put in my life. It ain't but one mom. Wow. Well, Last week I preached a message. and it's not about the money. It's about faith. And this morning our main text here in 1 John chapter 5 is verse number 4. For whatsoever is born of God. Overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this day, God. Thank you for moms. God, I thank you for godly moms. I thank you for praying moms. I thank you for difference-making moms. And God, I thank you for moms that have instilled so much into so many of us. I thank you for moms that sacrificed everything of themselves to do everything for everybody else. God, I thank you for the moms in this place right now, God, that are here making a difference in the lives of others, for moms that have their children in church and moms doing all they can, God. Lord, I pray you'd bless them. I pray you'd bless their homes. I pray you'd bless their families. I pray you'd bless their finances. I pray you'd bless their health, God. I pray that you'd open the windows of heaven and pour blessings out on them. And God, right here in the next few minutes, Lord, I'm asking you if you would... Lord, will you, will you ban Satan and his demons out of this place, God? Will you remove any hindrances, God? Will you take out anything that would hinder this morning, God, that your Holy Spirit might invade this place, God? I'm asking you, would you break chains this morning, God? Would you release some ties that bind this morning? I'm asking you, would you do something amazing right here in this place, God? It would be our prayer that souls would be saved today, God, that some prodigals would return home, God. but we just come and asking these things in Jesus' name, knowing that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, Robin and Katie and I went to the beach for a few days, and so I did the same thing down there that I do at home. I just did it with my toes in the sand. Um, I spent a lot of time reading, and I spent a lot of time studying. And it seemed like everything that I studied kept pointing to faith. And I kept reminding God, I'm sure none of y'all ever do that. God, I preached on faith last week. You remember, you had me do that. You know I'm not a big fan of preaching on tithing, but, but I did enjoy the message last week that, that God, the things that he taught me, but um, I think it was Tuesday I even said to Robin, well, looks like the Lord's going to want me to preach that same message again next week. Maybe he just wants me to preach it over and over and over until we get it, and then we can move on. Wednesday, I, I kept studying and, and everything that I kept reading and everything kept pointing back to faith. So I decided, well, when I get up Thursday morning, I'm going to read the book of Ruth. Lord, I need you to give me a message for Mother's Day. And when I get through Ruth, if I don't have a message for Mother's Day, then I'll read the book of Esther. If I read the two books named after women, surely God give me a message for Mother's Day. So I got up Thursday morning, I got my coffee, I went out on a little porch and I sat down and I read the book of Ruth and God gave me a message from Mother's Day, out of the book of Ruth, about faith. So I flipped over to Esther and I read the book of Esther and God gave me a message from Mother's Day, and it was about faith. So I went back to Ruth and I... Thumbed around a little bit more, and before I got to the end, I was in 1 Samuel, so I read 1 Samuel, and I got a Mother's Day message about faith. (laughs) So this morning, I'm going to bring a message for moms and dads and anybody else in the Lord's house and anybody else listening. I'm going to bring a message entitled, Faith Under Fire. In the book of Ruth, I noticed something reading it that I'd never really paid attention to it that way before. And I'm certainly not casting a stone at Elimelech here. I'm just making an observation. I noticed that it said he did the exact same thing that Abram did. The Bible says that there was a famine in the land, and so he left the promised land of God. You remember God told Abram, Go into the land, I'll show thee. He left, and he finds himself in the promised land. But when he got to the promised land, a famine came, and rather than trust God to see him through the famine, through the trial, through the trouble, through the problems there in the promised land, he left and he went into Egypt, the picture of the world. And because he went over there, he wound up lying about his wife. And, and y'all know he wound up with Hagar. And from Hagar, he had an illegitimate son, which the world still suffers from that today. Well, I, I look at this story, and I see that Elimelech, he, the famine came to Bethlehem. And the reason he left Bethlehem is because of the trouble. And so he went over into Moab. Same thing Abram did. You know what that tells me? Both of these men, Bethlehem, by the way, is part of the promised land. It's part of the land that God gave to the Jews. And and he was in Bethlehem. And he left and he took his wife and his two sons. What that tells me is you can be in the place where God put you and problems come. Trials come situations show up hard times surface you know what that tells me right where you're at you can be in the will of god and still be going through some hard times it it tells me matter of fact what we find out is that abram went back because god blessed the land and we find out here that then they only talked to the two girls and and she says hey you, you know when it got over elimelech died right you know that part of the story And both of their sons died after they'd married two Moabite women. So just like when when Abram went and wound up with with Hagar, the Egyptian slave girl, we find that that their two sons went and wound up with Gentile women. Well, if you study, the Jews weren't supposed to marry Gentile women. So we find that he goes up here and, and his sons are now married to Gentile women and then and he dies, and then both of his sons die. And so Naomi calls the two girls and says, Hey, look, I don't have any more sons to give you. I don't have anybody to buy you ride. I don't have anybody to take care of you. You go on back to your own people. Now, understand these are Moabite women. That means they're, they're women of false gods. That they're women of idolatry. That's not a stone cast at them. That's the way they were raised. They didn't know any different. They didn't know about the one true and living God. So they worship idols. And she said, You going back to your gods. You going back to your people. Find husbands for yourself. You got your whole lives to live, but I'm going back to my people. But here's the deal: the reason I'm going back to my people is because I've heard that God has blessed the land. There is bread in the land. That tells me if you ain't happy where you're at, just hold on. There's a season of testing comes. There's a season of trials comes. You ain't happy at church, just hold on. Trials and situations come, but going somewhere else ain't going to do anything but put you in trouble somewhere else. But God is able to take care of you right where you're at. So what I saw when I read Ruth is that God is able to take our messes and make a message. Because even though he did leave the promise of God and, and probably went to a place of the world, maybe he shouldn't have gone there, if we didn't have that, then we wouldn't have the story of Ruth. And if we didn't have the story of Ruth, then we wouldn't have that amazing story of the kinsman redeemer that shows a picture of what Christ is for us. So, so God took, what man made a mess out of, and he made a message for us out of it. But that wasn't what I was looking for, so I moved on to Esther. And in Esther, I find the children of Israel are in bondage. They've been carried away as slaves. Uh, Israel's been overthrown for disobeying God. And, and, and you find out that they're, they're living under the law of others. And without going through the whole story, you know, that Haman hated Mordecai Mordecai sat at the gate and he wouldn't give homage to Haman who thought he was all that in a bag of chips. And, you know, the king out there having a drunken party calls for Queen Vashti to come up and she says, I'm not coming, she don't come. So she gets removed from the throne. And before you know it, this little, would have been a slave Jewish girl. They come from captivity, all of a sudden she's the queen of the most powerful nation on earth. And through the process of all that happens there is... Haman wants to kill Mordecai, and he hates him so bad, he decides he's going to kill all the Jews. And, and men, women, boys, girls, are all going, to, all going to be killed. And Mordecai hears about it, and, and he sends a message in to the queen, who nobody can go to the king without being called or they get killed. So she says, I want all you guys to fast with me for three days. And after three days of fasting, I'll go show myself to the king. Now, understand, if the king doesn't find favor, she'll be killed on the spot. So they fasted three days, and she went. And before you know it, not only are the children of Israel all delivered, but the ones who meant to do them harm were hanged on their own gallows. So that made me remember the message that I preached a little while back, when your test becomes your testimony. Adrian Rogers said yesterday, when we go through times in life we we go through things a lot of times we take ourselves apart piece by piece trying to figure out what we did wrong he said but sometimes you may not have done anything wrong God is simply testing your faith so God kept taking me back to 1st John chapter 5 verse 4 for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So last week, what God showed me is I preached on tithing. I preached on money. Money is something that gets a lot of people being out of shape. But I preached on the very simple fact God's not interested in your money. God doesn't need your money. It's not about money. It's all about faith. Money, money is not important to God. The only thing that moves heaven, the only currency that moves heaven is faith. But some people don't have a problem with tithe. They've done it their whole life. It comes as natural as breathing. But that doesn't mean you don't have a problem. Everybody has chinks in their armor. And the devil knows exactly where it's at, exactly how to find it, and exactly how to rattle your chain. Amen? It is Satan's great desire. It is Satan's goal. It's Satan's dream, if you will, to to keep you away from the will of God. It is his will, his his great desire to to get your faith in your God to fail. He he sets out to destroy each one of us. It is his his desire to keep us from God's strength, God's power, God's provisions God's protection from God's purpose and direction for our life the devil wants to destroy everything about you he's looking to destroy your integrity he's looking to destroy your home he's looking to destroy your family listen make no mistakes about it the devil hates you and it is his desire to destroy you and I as children of God he'll do anything that he can to steal our walk with the Lord he's after your honesty any way he can get it. He wants to cause you to fear and, and live in dread. He wants you to have doubt. He wants to give you a life of anxiety because that's the life of a defeated Christian if you're living with anxieties and fear because that shows that you really don't believe God can take care of the situation that you're facing. He wants to confuse your mind. He wants, he, he, he wants to, to destroy your thought. The devil loves to tempt you. But the one thing he absolutely hates is when you pray. We ought to be the kind of moms, dads, children, Christians, that the devil hates it when we wake up. Because he knows the very minute we wake up is the minute that we're going to start praying. So I told you that I read on into First Samuel. So this morning, I'm going to bring the rest of the message from First Samuel. If you want to turn to chapter 17, that's where I'm going to spend most of the time on this part of the message. I'm not going to be able to read the whole story. I would love to, but for the sake of time, I obviously can't. But it's a story that everybody knows very well, if you've been around church much at all. It's called David and Goliath. Anybody know that story? Anybody ever heard of that one? So so I want to spend just a few minutes this morning. I want to look at David and Goliath. And the first thing I want to say is there's three things that we see about Goliath, and there's three things that we see about David. All three things that we see about Goliath are all physical. All three things that we see about David are all spiritual. In Goliath, we see his size. The Bible says that he's six cubits and a span. That means that he's somewhere between nine foot six and nine foot nine inches tall. Now, that would be a giant on an NBA court. But historians tell us in that day that the average height of a male was five foot tall. That means that the average male standing beside Goliath would have looked like a second grader. They tell us that his weight would have been between four and 500 pounds. So we have this mountain of a man, but, but then we see the sight of him. It talks about his armor. And in his armor, it says that he has on this coat of mail. And the coat of mail would have been something that draped over his shoulders, front and back, like a long robe, would have covered his arms, come down past his knee, and it would have made, made out of little bronze, overlapped like fish scales. So, so that it allowed flexibility... But yet it protected so that nothing could bring harm to his body. And then over that he had a breastplate of metal. And then from the knees down he had shin guards of metal that came down and covered his feet. And on his head he has this metal helmet. So when we look at him defensively, it looks as though almost nothing can harm him. It says that he has three offensive weapons. He has a bronze javelin. He has a sword on his belt. And he has a spear thick as a weaver's beam. So we have his sighs, and we have his sight, this dreadful sight, but also we have his voice. We see that this mountain of a man cries out every morning and every night, just like our problems do. It's the first thing that shouts out your name when you wake up in the morning. It's the last thing you think of before you go to sleep at night. It's the devil constantly reminding you constantly bringing challenges of the world, bringing the challenges of things against us. So we have this mountain of a man with this thunderous voice, and he's he's up there shouting to the armies of Israel, and they're all scared. They're all scared of what he's hollering out, and, and, and he's doing good until one day Goliath spoke up when he should have shut up because David was in the camp. We have there in the story of David, it tells us three things about him. We know that David was a little shepherd boy. We know that he'd been out and tended to the flock that morning. We know that he'd come back, and his father, Jesse, said, I want you to go down to the battlefield, take these provisions. Take the provisions and carry these to your brothers. Take these provisions and carry them to the captain of the host of the army. And then I want you to bring back a report and tell me how the battle's going. So what we have, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, beginning in verse number 23, as David went out and he talked, it says, As he talked with them, Behold, there came up, The champion, the Philistine, now some of you may call that Philistine, don't make any difference to me if you want to call it Philistine or Philistine, but for today, it's Philistine right now. Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. The men of Israel, when they saw the man, there's two important words right there, fled from. Y'all see those? They fled from him and went, so, and were so afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David is shocked that nobody has gone out and shut this man up who's talking about their God. In verse 26, David spoke to the men who stood by and said, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defile the armies of the living God? So we see David's conviction. Verse number 28, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? David says, don't be mad at me. Don't you have something a little bit bigger on your plate to be worried about right now? Isn't there something besides this? Isn't there something to be besides fussing within the house right here? Ain't there enough battle going on out there? Isn't there enough problems to face out in the world? Don't you have enough giants out there in your life? Don't you have enough giants in your workplace? Don't you have enough giants in your community? Don't you have enough giants in your school? Isn't there enough going on out there? Don't don't come in here and start your jump. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? Is there not bigger things for us to be discussing now than this? How dare that uncircumcised Philistine curse our God? So we see David's courage. Then in verse 31, they went and told Saul about it. Lord bless me. I want to do a message on that, but he wouldn't give me that for this week. But it would be a good message to do right there and put Saul and David side by side and see what a man looks like running from God. And what a man looks like running with God. But I don't have time for that one. But we see the confidence of God. If you look down at verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. We see that David has confidence, but his confidence isn't in himself. His confidence is in his Lord. So, so what we see is that this mighty man of war in Goliath comes out with all of his armor, everything out there, and then David, this little run of a boy goes out against Goliath. He has no sword, no shield, no armor, no helmet, but he says, I'm going out to do battle. He went out and he used what God gave him and not what the world thought he ought to have. So he went out in the power of God. In verse number 42, it takes Goliath off. Goliath is irritated that this little inferior specimen of a boy has come out against this mighty warrior. The Philistine looked about in verse 42, and saw David. He disdained him. That means he went, you dried up, little punk. I'll squish you like a bug. It means he curled his lip at him. That's what he disdained him. So he's he's irritated that this little punk boy would even come out against this nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant. And it says that David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of fair confidence. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog? that thou comest to me with staves, And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. But David had a response. Verse number 45, David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, number one, with a spear, number two, and with a shield, number three. But I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, number one, the God of the armies of Israel, number two, whom thou hast defiled, number three. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines, not just you, but this whole army. I, I will give to, to the, the carcasses the host of the Philistines this day and to the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. Then in verse number 48 is about as shocking as any scene in all the Bible. David goes out and and he looks at Goliath and Goliath is ticked off and and David speaks to this big old giant and says, come on big boy. I'm fixing to whoop your tail and all the rest of you on that hill watching. So come on and get you some of this. So Goliath's ticked off. And the Bible says that he starts walking towards David. Now, y'all remember when that first text I read, what happened to all the other men? They ran, right? They ran from the sight and the sound of Goliath. Everybody on both sides of the valley is expecting David to run, but not towards the giant. David takes off running towards him, and he gets to the distance when he would have been the most accurate with his sling. Reaches into his pouch, takes out a stone, puts it in a sling, and plants it in the head of Goliath. Who falls for. Can you imagine the response to both sides? <gasps> David goes up and steps up on him. Hoo! Look what my God did. I'm coming after all the rest of you Philistines in just a minute. But first, I got a promise to keep. Took out his own sword. Cut his head off. Just like he said he was going to do. I wonder, I wonder if there's anybody in here this morning that has your own giant that you're facing. Life just has a way. Giants just keep coming. I want to give you five things from this story real quick that I see right here. It won't take but just a minute. The five things that I want to see in overcoming the giants in your life. The first one I see is refuse to be discouraged by your family and friends. Notice the first person that came up against David was his oldest brother. He's the first one that came in tearing him down. many times God gives us tests. Many times God gives us trials. God allows things to come our way in our lives. Sometimes God even gives us assignments. He gives us things to do. He gives us directions to go. And the very first people that will show up in your life to discourage you, tear you down, and pull you back is your family and the ones you thought were your friends. David says, I'm not going to be discouraged by my oldest brother. I know you the oldest, got birthright, and all that. But when God gives you something to do, that is bigger than yourself. Or when God allows a mountain to be placed in front of you that simply looks too big to climb. Your friends and family will see it as impossible. You got to decide who you're going to keep your eyes on. You got to decide if you're going to look at them or if you're going to look at God because they'll be the first and they'll be the worst when it comes to discouraging you. David said, "Is there not a cause You and I have got to be just as determined as David. It is in God's strength. And if it is God that takes us there, then God will provide for us there. Number two, keep your focus on God, not on the giant. In all of the text, David really only has two things to say about this Philistine. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine in verse number 26? That he should defy the armies of the living God. Verse number 36, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, since he hath defiled the armors of the living God. David didn't ask, how big is that dude, man? Anybody know how much he weighs? Man, look at all that armor. I wonder how much that stuff weighs. David didn't ask any questions. Anybody know how many men he's already killed? No, all David had to say about Goliath is, who is this chump talking smack about my God? Who is that big mouth standing on that hill that I'm about to go close? Who, Who is the one that feels as though he has a right to talk about my God? That's all David has to say about him. But in the same conversation, David has nine things to say about the power of his God. That means David spent... Four times more talking about the power of his God than he did the size of his problem. Well, let's look at it like this. The problem, woke him up shouting to him every morning. Anybody amen that one? Amen. First thing on your mind when you wake up. The problem, put them to bed at night, letting them know I'll still be here in the morning. When you get up, I ain't going nowhere. Sleep on, princes. I got your number. But what about in between those two times? Do you spend four times more talking about the size of your problem? Or do you spend four times more talking about the size of your God? When when somebody says, hey, how you doing? By the way, I I really try to shy away from that question anymore. You're usually going to get the answer anyway how you doing well you know i ain't doing too good you know i got this here going on and, and and i got i got this over here going on and and you know so and so they 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 got this this going on and well you you know you know my Third cousins, boyfriends, aunts, nieces, great-grandmothers, secretary that they worked with and went to school with thirty-two years ago died last week. <laughs> well, just, 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 just pray for us, man. I just a, a lot of men have said it, and I don't know who said it first. So I'll just say it again: It's okay to talk to God about the size of your problems. Because sometimes you need to talk to your problems about the size of your God. You need to spend four times more talking about the power of your God than you do the size of your problems. You need to remind your problems who your God is. You need to remind your problems of the promises that God has made you. You need to remind your problems of the victory of Calvary's cross. Number three. It's funny, it's funny. Tim and I don't talk at all. We pick out the song, and he picks up Chain Breaker. Anybody need some chains broke today? That's what we're looking at, conquering giants, breaking chains. And then the next song they sing is when "We Will Remember. Funny, because that's point number three. Sometimes you need to remember previous victories. Sometimes you need to look back, remember the message I talked about a minute ago, when your test becomes your testimony. Sometimes you need to look back on some of your own testimonies. You need to look back at where you were when God showed up. You need to look back and remember how God came through then and be encouraged that the same God will come through now. You need to look back and remember that God was big enough in your situation in your past. He's big enough for the situation in your present. He's big enough for the situation in your future. Sometimes you need to look back and be reminded of what God's already done for you, what God's already brought you out of, what God's already delivered you from, when He's already reached into the darkness of your night, when He's already pulled you out of sinking sand, when He's already walked on the seas of your stormy night out on the ocean, when He's already come to where you were that you couldn't get out of. Sometimes you just got to look back. And remember, I've been in a bad spot before, and God showed up then. And it is faith that says, God will show up now. Sometimes you just got to look back. David did. Verse number 34, David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote the lion and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, My God was there then and my God will be there now. That's the confidence of a man walking with God. But then the fourth thing I see here in David is that problems are going to come. I saw that repeatedly. When I looked at Ruth, I saw that problems are going to come. I read Esther, I saw that problems are going to come. I looked at people in the will of God, in the place of God, and I saw that problems still came. And and here in this story, what I see is that problems are just going to come. David didn't go looking for the problem. David's just doing what he's told to do. He's just delivering some groceries and going to get the mail and take it back to Dad. That, that, that's all he's doing. He wasn't looking for it. But the problem came to him. But when problems arise, problems must be dealt with. That's right. You can't do like the armies of Israel were doing. You can't run from the problem or the problem never goes away. At some point, you've got to turn around and decide that your God is big enough and run towards your problem and take the problems on. Problems don't just go away. They're just like Goliath. They keep coming every morning, every night. You'll be listening to your favorite song. And it'll show up in the middle of it. You'll be riding along by yourself, and he'll show up in the middle of it. You'll find yourself anxious over a problem. What him on your mind five minutes ago. The problems don't go away. They just keep turning up. You can't run from your problems. In the power of the name of Jesus, you have to take them on. If God allowed it to come your way, then God has a purpose for it and God has a plan to end it. And when it has accomplished that for which God sent it, God will take care of it. It is to increase our faith. You can't run from problems. You can't postpone problems or put them off. You can't ignore them. At some point, you have to deal with them in Jesus' name. You have to face your problems. But then number five, you've got to remember who you're fighting for. You've got to remember whose side you're on. More importantly, you've got to remember who's on your side. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. When we encounter adversity, it's called life. Anybody in here that has never had a problem, never encountered encountered adversity, never had anything come up against them, stand up. Wow. You mean nobody in here has ever been without a problem? It's called life. Problems come, adversities come, but when they come, we have a choice to make. Will you run toward your problem or will you run toward your God? I guess a better way of putting it is will you focus on your problem or will you focus on your God? Will you talk four times more about the size of your problem Or four times more about the size of your God? Which do you see bigger? Let me put it that way. Which do you see bigger? The size of the problem or the size of your God? The answer will be obvious. It will be determined by the direction that we run. So, I wanted a Mother's Day message, so here it is. There are a few challenges in this life greater than that of being a mom. You get to deal with everything on the planet. All kind of problems involving life and finances and and no-account husbands. We try, y'all. We just ain't worth much. We try sometimes, sometimes harder than others. Life just has a way of bringing problems, but, but that's not true just for the mom, is it? I mean, moms have to deal with the children and children getting hurt and taking to the doctor, getting sick. They, children picking bad friends in spite of mom trying to steer them in the right direction. Children doing wrong things. Mom trying to do the best she can to get them to do the right things, going places that they're not supposed to go, even though mom told them you don't need to go there. Doing everything they can, trying to help moms do the best they can. The Children still wind up in trouble. Some of them, children are grown and gone, but the problems aren't. You wake up and you pray every morning. You go to bed praying every night, but somewhere out there is your child. The devil's telling you, you let them down. You're not good enough. You prayed every day. You carried them to church every Sunday, but they're out there in the world somewhere. And the devil wants to tell you it's your fault. The devil wants to tell you that you didn't do enough. People make choices. You do all you can do, and you turn it over to the Lord, and you trust God to take care of it. You don't run from it. You run at it. Sometimes it's, it's, it's Dad. Mom ain't the only ones that, that face the problems. Dad has, has to face the same kind of world, same kind of life, same kind of problems. But you know who else faces it? Our children. We've got children facing problems and making decisions today that most adults can't make. You've got children going through stuff today, and they're just trying, somebody to give them one reason why they did even stay alive. You've got children facing problems. It's just life. But, but I can tell you this. Whatever your problem is today, whatever your challenge is today, you may have a marital problem. You may have a financial problem. You may have a, a work-related, job-related problem. Your children may, the, may be the prodigals. They're, they're out there in the world. There, there's, a, there's a host of problems. I can't even begin to go over enough to hit yours. But, but whatever your situation is today, whatever trial you're facing, whatever lies the enemy is telling you, whatever the devil is whispering in your ear, whatever he's throwing at you, whatever garbage he's putting on your back, you've got to remember that the battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord that we are fighting. All we need faith faith that he will show up and he will see us through and he'll take care of our problems I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you you already know the, the altars are open they always are but I believe somebody in here has got something today I believe somebody's got a giant that they need to overcome. And I know that because I tried so hard to get away from preaching this message today. I tried so hard to just preach something about moms and something joyous for moms and something to send moms out with flowers on their hat and and, and all happy. God wouldn't let me get away from this. That means that God knows that somebody's going to be in this house today that has a giant in front of them. that that has a valley that they've got to walk, they're going through problems. I'm going to ask you to bring your giants down here and give them to God. I'm going to ask you to run towards your giants down here. I'm going to ask you to to come down here and, one, talk to God about how big your giant is, but mainly talk to your giant about how big your God is. Could could I have everybody stand? If everybody just go ahead and stand. Don't, Don't take battles out of here today. That you're not designed to fight. Do you remember remember what Saul tried to do? Saul tried to talk David out of addressing the problem. Saul tried to tell David, you can't do it. Leave it alone. You're a little boy. He's a mighty warrior. You can't do it. First thing the enemy does is tries to tell you that you can't. But when the enemy realizes that you're not going to give up, I'm going after this. I believe God had me go this way, and I'm going in the power of Jesus' name. The next thing that the world will try to do is they'll try to distract you on the way to do it. You notice what Saul did? He tried putting his armor on him. Saul, in case you didn't know it, Saul was a giant of a man himself. He's probably close to seven foot tall in a day where men are five foot tall. The Bible says that he's head and shoulders above everybody else. And he tries putting his armor on David. He says, if you're gonna go up against this mighty warrior, you gotta dress like a warrior. You gotta look like a warrior. You gotta talk like a warrior. You gotta act like a warrior. If you wanna look like a warrior, you better get on your knees before God. Because that's what warriors look like in the Christian realm. David had spent some long time with God on his knees, on his face before God. David took all that stuff off. He said, I don't need your tricks, I don't need your gimmicks. All I need is the power of my God. God gave me this sling and right here in this crease, He gave me these five stones and I'm going to take them and put them in my pouch and I'm going in the power of God and what God called me to do with what God gave me to do it with and I'm going to be victorious because of God. The enemy will try to get you distracted in the middle of your war because if the enemy can get you to doubt, if the enemy can try to get you to put on the shield of the world instead of going in the power of God, you're already defeated. You can't go in weaken faith or dampened faith or lessened faith. You have to go in the fullness of the faith and the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giants are all conquerable. God allowed them to come. God is the one who can take them away. Sometimes you just got to say, I'm not going to be discouraged. Anymore, I'm not going to be held down anymore. I'm not going to be defeated anymore. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. When faith comes under fire, which way will you run? Will you run towards the enemy or away from the enemy. I can tell you if you're willing to run towards the battle God's already there. A couple weeks ago Brandon preached on the fiery furnace. You know they cast three men bound into the fire. The king looks there but I see four men loosed and walking about. When the three men were thrown into the fire Jesus was already there Jesus is waiting in your fire he's waiting at your storm he's waiting at your trial he's waiting at your giant he's just waiting on your faith to bring you there so he can deliver the answer to your problem if I I could I I know most of you already praying anyway if I have heads bowed eyes closed just for a minute is anybody in here this morning that you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you remember a time when you were little and you think you did, but you're not living it. You're out there living in the world. I don't know. Some of you here this morning just because mom. At least that's what you thought. Some of you just here to please people. It's been a conversation. You didn't want to come, but here you are and you find yourself here. But this moment was ordained of God before the foundations of the world you didn't accidentally find yourself in Faith Baptist Church right here on May 12th, Mother's Day Sunday morning 2019, before the foundations of the world, God ordained a cross and he put his son on that cross and he ordained this day to have you in this building to conquer the greatest giant that you'll ever face and that is hell For all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Without Jesus Christ, hell is forever our home. The blood of Jesus washes away sins and saves souls. Have you ever trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Maybe maybe you're just out there on the run. You need to get some things right. I don't know where you are, but you do. And the Holy Spirit had me preach this for a reason. Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner? There must be a confession of your sins. You don't get a little magic poem. You don't get to talk your way out of this. This is a heart confession. You have to be willing to tell the Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Lord, I'm asking you right now if you forgive me of my sins. I want to change. I want to be different. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I want to be a child of God. I want to go to heaven when I die. I know I was born a sinner. I know I am a sinner. I know I deserve hell. I know I sure do. But in the power of Jesus' name, I'm not going there. Are you willing to ask the Lord to save your soul this morning? Lord, I am a sinner. I'm just asking you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins, Save my soul in Jesus' name. I was not.